Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name is Ray Heron and taking you once again all the way back to Shiny Side Up Bike Fest in Carpety, the fourth uh, bike fest for the season, the fourth and final, and of course the eleventh event for Shiny Side Up across the country. And we will be joining Sergeant Peter Salter. Now he is a crash scene investigator with New Zealand Police. He's also a long-time motorcyclist, and he'll be talking about his career, the things he's seen on the road, and breaking down some of those preconceptions about what causes crashes and what we think caused the crash, and just coming to terms with that sort of thing. It's a very sobering topic hearing Sergeant Peter Salter talk about the things that he's seen on New Zealand roads. But I think it's a very poignant topic that we need to address. So this is the third episode from the Shiny Side Up Talk series. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, take it away, Sergeant Peter Salter. All right, good morning all. Um, As you can see, uh, I'm dressed as a policeman. That's because I am a policeman. Um, So let's get into this. So this is my motorcycle. Uh, This is what I normally ride. Unfortunately, today I couldn't bring it because I'm on call for the Wellington region, so if that thing goes off and I suddenly disappear, it's because something really bad's happened to somebody on the way here. Um, But that's just basically to give you some idea of uh, what I do and uh, who I am. But the first question I want to ask you guys is, and there is no wrong answer to this, why do you ride? So sir, why do you ride? Commuting. Commuting? Okay. Yourself? So enjoy it. You enjoy it? And yourself? Why do you ride? Yep. Pleasure. Pleasure? Cool. Okay, so just reflect on that when we get to the end because I think it'll tie it together for you, hopefully put a little bow on it and give it to you as a present. Just a little bit about myself so I can qualify myself in your eyes so you understand where I'm coming from. So I've been riding since I was 17 years old. When I was 17 years old I uh, was introduced to a young lady who rode motorcycles and for some reason that sparked my interest in motorcycles. (laughs) Go figure. Um, That young lady is now my wife. She's been my wife for a few years now but um, and she still rides motorcycles. In fact, she just rode home yesterday from Taupo, so there you go. Um, so I've owned and she's owned many different makes and models of motorcycles, mainly Yamahas and um, Suzuki's, um, but now obviously an Indian. Uh, I've had formal training. I've been in the police. I've been, before being in the police, I was in the Ministry of Transport, so I was formally trained on riding motorcycles and that, and I was trained for the last APEC conference and there's now talk about training me for the new APEC conference. So I've done a, a lot of formal training, and I've done two gold courses, two silver courses, and I think, and I and also did the pilot program for developing Ride Forever. And I've travelled on motorcycles throughout New Zealand and overseas, so in 2015 my wife and I travelled to the US and we picked up a couple of motorcycles in Florida and we spent 10 days riding around Florida on two Indian um, bikes. So we've done a bit of riding. Uh, in the job, I've been investigating crashes since joining the MOT in 1988, and of course, MOT and the police joined together in 1992. And I've been in the serious crash unit since 1998. And all of that means that I have attended hundreds of crashes, and I've basically investigated altogether too many fatal crashes involving motorcycles. So, from my perspective, the two crashes that I really don't like going to, the two types of crashes, are ones involving little kids. Nobody likes that. And going to ones that involve motorbikes. Because there's a connection there. There's a connection between, and I just feel like a brother has gone down or a sister has gone down, and it, it kind of hits you because you feel it. Anyway, so let's have a look at some stats. Well, actually, sorry, let's look at what we do. So first off, what do we do? We, we ask what happened in a crash. That's our primary role, is to figure out what happened. 
We try and figure out how the crash happened. And we establish who was involved. This can be a challenge. Who was involved can be a challenge because people for some reason don't want to own up to their mistakes. And we have a number of crashes. I think there's three cases that we're going through in the last month um, which involved a driver who has basically swapped positions with a deceased passenger and has said that person is responsible for the crash, not me. Um, and so that's a challenge, being able to figure out who was where and what they did. We seek to find out why it happened, so we look at the what, the how, the who and the why, and there's only re one reason for us doing that, and that is for this. We're looking for a way to prevent somebody else from going through this mess. These crashes rip people's lives apart, they rip families apart, they kill people, and it's just all round bad situation. There is nothing good that comes from a fatal crash. So we just seek to determine cause, and this is the way we've set ourselves up. We try to divorce ourselves from anything else. So we're looking at cause here. So what caused the crash? What we're trying not to do is to determine fault. And if you hear me talk about this person did this and that was wrong, it's because it's, it's really hard as a cop not to think about fault, because that's what most cops do. We go out, we catch the bad guy, and we hold them to account for their bad actions, put them before the court and what have you. But as crash investigators, we try to step one step back from that and just look at the cause and try not to determine fault. So we try not to determine who did this in terms of the law, we just simply say, this is what they did. And the reason for that is because we've got these guys that wear black Darth Vader robes and sit on big high benches and get paid a lot of money to make the determination as to who is actually at fault. That's their job, they get paid five times as much as I do, and um, probably more, and that's what they do. This is how we do it. We look at the scene. So when we go to a crash, we look at the scene, we look at the environment, we look at the road surface, we look at the road layout, we look at visibility and markings. So we're looking at all the sorts of things that you might have heard about, flushing, loose gravel, the fact that the white lines were in the wrong place or in the wet, the white lines are too slippery and all those sorts of things. We look at those, we look at see whether at an intersection there might be a tree that's overgrown, causing it difficult for the person at the intersection to see down the road. We look at the vehicles, so we're looking at crash damage, Obviously the way the vehicles come together and the, and the damage they've got suggests to us certain things about the crash. We look at mechanical condition and issues, and depending on which case we're about to look at, because I have actually no idea which one it is, uh, there could be a mechanical issue involved. And of course, as I said before, road users, who did what and why did they do it? What possible situation led to this happening? So looking at it this way, the scene accounts for less than 5% of crashes. So all our talk about our crappy roads here in New Zealand, when you talk to people who come from overseas, they go, you guys have got roads that are fantastic. You talk to Dave Moss over there, he will tell you that New Zealand is the one country that he will ride around a corner at the same speed in the wet as he would in the dry. Because our road surface is that good compared to other countries he's been in. And he's been in a lot. They have this wonderful thing in the United States called tar snakes. And that's where they find a crack in the road and they put a <laughs> of tar down it. And they don't just go across the road, they go along around the corner. You hit that on your rear wheel, the back end steps out big time. We don't have that here. We actually have really good surfaces and, and I've done four and a half, five thousand k's since the beginning of February going down to the Burt Munro and then back up through the South Island and then back down to Christchurch and then back up to here and then all around the place. Our roads are actually really quite good. Okay. Vehicles, again, less than 5% of our vehicles have a fault that causes a crash. And even when it does cause a crash, because the tyre blows out or something like that, is that a mechanical fault or is that 
the driver not sorting his own business out. So, which kind of, if you work that out, we go five plus five means how much is left for road users. 90% of it is the riders, the drivers, or what have you. Right. This is the interesting part, and it may challenge you, it may interest you. So, who or what causes crashes? So I looked at all the fatal motorcycle crashes from the 1st of January 2010 through to the 31st of January of this year. Okay? So that's 10 years worth of data. I wanted to go as long as I could without going too far back in the dim dark ages where things were slightly different. But what that means is I was looking for the primary cause of each crash. What does that mean? So I looked at where the cause was shared and I chose the most significant factor. And then the, the one that will come to mind to most of you is the one where you're riding along and a guy pulls out from a side road on you, okay? Now in that situation I looked at it and I said if the guy in the car looks up to the, to the left or to the right, whatever the case may be, and he could see that bike coming, regardless of the fact that, that bike might be speeding, he still should be giving way. Does that make sense? But if that motorcycle was out of sight because it's going so damn fast that it's round the corner or over the brow of the hill, when this guy makes the decision to pull out, that's perfectly all right. And so the blame shifts, or the, the cause shifts. See, I said the word blame. The cause shifts to the motorcycle. Does that make sense? Okay, we're on the same page. It's awesome. So there were 451 fatal crashes in that 10-year period. That's 45 a year. And it killed basically 462 people. 462 of our brothers and sisters. That's 46 a year going down, guys. Sobering stuff. So the primary cause lay with the motorcycles for 72%. Now, I didn't like that figure. I don't like that figure because it means that we're the ones killing ourselves. But there's a, there's a good part to it, and if you've listened to Brett's talk, he talks about the same thing. If the cause lies with us, where does the cure lie? With us. We don't have to convince car drivers to do this, that and the other. We don't have to convince car drivers to see us because it's, at this point it's not even affecting it. We just have to be better riders and safer riders and we can bring the big figure down. Because when we look at the next one, the other driver is only 26%. So where should we be focusing our effort? On convincing car drivers not to pull out from intersections or on convincing motorcycle riders to ride safer? That's why we have events like this. The remaining 2% are just basic weird ones. Body found on a gravel road, not sure whether they got hit by a horse or, 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 or just had a heart attack or what have you, but it's a, it's a really small number so we just don't really go there because, like I say, this is no information. So this is the part of the pie that we own here, guys, the blue part. And it's not blue because I'm wearing blue, it's blue because I have a thing for blue. Orange is the car drivers. That's the part we can sort out ourselves, guys. We take care of that, and we save so many of our own brothers and sisters, don't we? This is what looks like an, a yearly thing. Again, the blue is us, and the orange is the car drivers, or the truck drivers, or what have you. And it's fairly consistent across the board. So these figures mirror those from overseas studies. And you might have, if you heard Brett's talk, you might have heard that he says something pretty similar to this. And remember, he didn't talk to me before he made that up and, or, or made up his, his presentation. And I didn't talk to him. I wasn't even aware who he was until I Googled him and had a look on, on um, 
YouTube and saw him dumping motorbikes and doing all sorts of weird wonderful things and riding bikes all through the um, Pacific Northwest. But basically it means that we are exactly the same as everybody else. We like to think of our Kiwis as, as being special. Guess what, we're not. We're just like everybody else. We've got the same faults, the same flaws, the same mistakes as everybody else in the world. And I've looked at the US, I've looked at Canada, I've looked at the UK, and I've looked at Australia, and the figures are all about the same. The 72 can sometimes go down to 68 or 65, but it's, it's the bulk of crashes are caused by us. In the US, the figures are over 90% of fatal crashes, the motorcycle is the striking vehicle in their crash. Now that may be because the car turned across in front of us, but it still means we struck them. What do we control in terms of striking? Our speed. If we can get that speed down, that might not be a fatal. All right. This is the number one cause of fatal motorcycle fatalities. Got nothing to do with other cars. It's us failing to take a corner. We're not that good at cornering, guys. We think we are, but we've got that blind spot bias, haven't we? Everybody else is useless with cornering, but I'm pretty good. 41%, guess which is the worst corner, left corner or right corner? Everybody says right, and you're always wrong. It's a left bend, when you go wide on a left bend, where do you end up? In the lane of the oncoming vehicle, and guess what that vehicle always is? No, it is not a bicycle. No, it is not somebody pushing a pram. It is a dirty great big Mack truck with 40 tonnes of logs on board. Or it is a stock truck. Or it's an SUV with bull bars. And on 11 occasions, so once a year, it was a motorcycle coming the other way. And I just watched the video of that one in Christchurch that happened late last year. That ripped me to pieces. Watching this guy pull out and overtake on a blind bend and have a head on with a motorbike coming the other way. It's just... It, Left, right bends, 16%. Guess what we hit when we go off right bends? We hit trees, we hit culverts, we hit barbed wire fences. Guess what we don't hit with very much regularity? Cheese graters that everybody moans about. You know, they're putting the cheese grater on the side of the road. Everybody goes, oh, that's terrible, we'll, we'll hit that. We don't. We hit power poles and rocks and culverts and drains and fences which is why they put it up to stop us from hitting those things. Just, just putting that out there. Motorcycle loss of control, 20%. Those are just dumbass things. I could read you some. Guy standing on the seat, cruising past his mates like this, goes off the road, through a fence, and he put himself through two barbed wire fences. Didn't come out very well. Um, a lot of nose to tails. Motorcycle running up the rear of the vehicle in front. Just loss of control. Overbraking, the crash at Silverstring the other day. The guy just overbraked, dropped the bike. Car in front was miles in front when he first saw it. He just didn't notice that it was going slower than he was. And this is the one we, we always talk about, isn't it? The Smidzy, the old sorry mate I didn't see you, the car that pulls out on us. It's less than, than those two, so it only comes in third. Motorcycle overtaking, we're not that flashed overtaking. Like I say, four and a half thousand k's up and down the South Island. Guess what I didn't see a lot of? You know the bikes that have those little orange things? There's two at the back, and there's two at the front, and there's a lever generally on this side of your, particularly Harleys, for some reason. They just don't seem to work. 
I knew there was a reason. I knew it was safety oriented. Seriously though, there was an awful lot of very ordinary overtaking I saw. Yellow lines aren't painted on the road because somebody one day ordered the wrong colour paint. They're there because of a reason, because there's a visibility issue. But guys seem to think it doesn't, really, it doesn't apply to them and they can just pull out and overtake. And I saw one guy overtaking and cars pulling off onto the gravel to avoid him because he decided to try and catch up to his mates who had gone past before me, before him. It's not flash. Motorcycle fails to give way. We talk about car drivers pulling out in front of us. Motorcyclists will pull out from intersections as well. 11%, so it's only, there's only 11 of them. Oh, sorry, 11, only 2%, but it still happens. And then there's just the random weird ones, as I say, ones that we don't really know what happened, um, and just really, really, really strange circumstances. And some of those possibly were medical, possibly weren't. Um, dogs running out, horses on the road, cattle on the road, those sorts of weird things that you really have got no real control over. All right, we're gonna do a case study now. I'm gonna take you through what I do as a job, and this is an actual live case. Um, it's based in part on real situations. I've tried to alter a few details so that it doesn't kind of point to any particular person. Um, I don't mean any disrespect or condemnation is intended or should be inferred towards any of the parties involved, okay? This is us trying to learn something from the situation, not trying to determine who's at fault or, or who's, who's caused the crash. We'll look at who the cause is or where the cause lies, but we're not trying to determine fault, okay? So my condolences extended to friends and family and else. And the reason I put that in there is because these crashes are obviously from the Wellington region, you guys are all from the Wellington region, I have no idea who you are, and I might be talking to a relative or I could be talking to a friend or somebody who knows somebody who was involved in a crash like this or this actual crash itself. And I just don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to get down on anybody. Anyway, let's have a look at it. Which one is it? It's a two-vehicle collision. Okay, this is the one I thought it was going to be. So it's a motorcycle that's collided with a utility. Motorcycle riders suffered fatal injuries. That's the information I get coming to me on the radio or on the, on the phone when I'm talking to comms. And the opinion's being helicoptered away to, to, to hospital. So that's the information I get. I then cruise to the scene. On the way I get a bit, so this is the, the situation. It's an afternoon, it's a summer, it's fine weather, so there's no real weather issues that we're gonna have to worry about here. It's a dry rural road and the, the speed limit's 100 k's. So that's, that's, that's my context of the situation and it's straight open with good views. And you're about to see the road itself. There's your road. So have a good look at it. Nice long straight, you can see way into the distance. That is the road. And that's what it looked like when I'd got there and done my bits and pieces. Okay? So there's a few things that this scene tells me about the situation before I even get into the, the whole investigation. The first thing it, it tells me is there's a side road up here, there's a signpost there, and there's this big long white line. It's 50 metres long, it's painted before every intersection on the approach. Okay? That lets you know there's an intersection up there. Okay? So there's a there's line. And then there's these signs here on the side of the paddock, which lets you know there's a right road off the road there. So there is a, you can see that there is a road coming up. There are indicators of this with the lines and the signs. And this road here that we're traveling on is relatively narrow. And I'll let you know now, there is no room to move over to the left off the seal. Because if you do that, you're in the ditch. Okay, you, you're, going, you're, going to, you're going to end up off going down into the ditch. So you can't do that. There's also no turning bay here. They haven't painted a turning bay in for you to sit in because the road's so narrow because nobody could get past you. Okay? The visibility on the straight into the distance is good and you all saw that in the first photo, didn't you? You could see for miles, kilometres. I'm still old school. 
And this no passing line, that's applying to traffic coming towards the camera, not looking away from the camera. So it doesn't apply to anybody heading in the direction away from town. So there's a tire mark here, it's in that lane. And I'll tell you now that I'm telling you that it's going in that direction. So, interesting isn't it? It appears to be from the rear wheel of a motorcycle and that's because of the, the, the width of the tire mark is quite narrow compared to a 195 or a 225 width car tire. Okay, and if, if a car locks up, generally you get more than one tire mark, don't you? And if you do get one tire mark, it's generally the full width of the tire, unless there's something really, really wrong with, with, the, with the car. And it's a, so that's fine. The tire mark curves at the end of the top here, it just curves to the right, which might suggest that the rider on the bike was trying to swerve to the right. So I looked, we talked to the ute driver, he was taken away and he was interviewed um, at the police station. He told us that he'd owned the ute for seven years, it was his work hack, he was very familiar with driving it. I don't know about loud pipes saving lives but the short piss people off. Um, <laughs> heading, he was heading to a mate's place which is down the side road. So he was coming up here, he was turning into that road, he was going to go down to a mate's place. It was, a, it was an un, unannounced visit that he was going to make, so there was no real time frame for it. So he wasn't on an appointment or anything. He wasn't in a hurry, he was just cruising along. In fact, he had his wife and the kids in the car with him. So he wasn't doing, he, he says, I'm not going to do anything stupid with him in the car. He's fully licensed, and when we checked him, did a breath test on him, no alcohol. He was fine. He was just a guy out for a drive on a, on a sunny afternoon. Sweet. Um, he was aware that he had some cars behind him. He was aware there were some vehicles behind him. Um, he reckoned he checked three times in his mirrors as he was coming up to the intersection and he indicated well in advance of making starting his turn. That's what he tells me. He began to turn off and clear the road because he wanted to get around the corner there. Heard a noise, felt a thump from behind. That's his statement, in a nutshell. So I looked at the utility, and this is the utility here actually, parked here in the picture. So I noticed that the right rear has got damage to it, which is consistent with an impact with a motorbike. I tested the indicator, it was working. There's no reason why it wouldn't su supply a, a, a flashing light if, if it was applied. There were no mechanical issues with the thing. But I did notice he had some dog boxes on the back here on the tray, which means he can't effectively look through that, that rear window, but he can still look through the two mirrors on the doors. So there's no legal issue in terms of that. He's still got visibility behind him, but it's a bit more restricted than you would get normally if you had another dog box there. I did an assessment of the motorcycle. Obviously I can't talk to the motorcycle rider because he's just not talking. It had frontal damage consistent with the impact with the utility, so there's no real issue there. I'm not thinking it's been hit by another vehicle and forced it out of the way. There were signs of rear wheel lockup, so there was scuffing on the rear. There was a burn mark on the rear tyre, which fits in nicely with this tyre mark I saw here. There were absolutely no signs of front wheel braking at all. So normally if you're braking on the front wheel, you'll get some speckling on the front tyre as the tyre is starting to get close to lock up and it's starting to slip over the stones. You can actually see an impression on the on the tyre itself. But there were no other mechanical issues with the bike. Hmm, okay. So we look at the motorcycle rider, he can't talk to us, but we can find information from his friends and family, can't we? So we found out that he owned the motorcycle for about four months. Okay. He also owns another one similar, so that means that he should be familiar with the bike. 
He's fully licensed, and when the blood test came back from the autopsy, he had no alcohol in his system. So he's, again, just a nice guy out for a ride on a sunny day heading home. He actually, actually locally lives down that road, so he knows the road pretty well. So what have we got here? We've got some witnesses. There were two vehicles in this lane following behind the ute. Both drivers were interviewed. A, they were aware that the utility was indicating to the right. They'd seen the indicator on the utility, so that confirms that for me, doesn't it? Two, the, director be, the driver directly behind the ute estimated that the indicator was on for at least 10 seconds. Well, that fits with what the guy said he indicated well in advance, doesn't it? Both of these vehicles behind him knew that the utility was making a right turn into the side road ahead. They had no problems with the fact that that was what was going to happen. They were also slowing down behind it and were preparing to let him get out of the way and then they were just going to carry on down the, down the straight into the distance. But only the driver of the 4x4 at the very back was aware that there was a motorcycle coming up behind them. Because the others couldn't see past the 4x4. They were looking backwards and they couldn't see past the 4x4. And the motorcycle was positioned in the middle of the lane, right behind the 4x4. The other drivers only became aware as it overtook them. So, I did talk to the pillion. She said as they came around the bend, they came up behind a queue of vehicles. The queue was travelling quite slowly. The driver of the motorcycle accelerated and pulled out to pass. They went speeding because the queue was going so slowly, he only got up to 100 k's as he pulled out to pass. But when they pulled out, that's when she saw the ute pulling out and could see what was going on. And at that point, she actually heard the rider go, fudge, or a word of that description. So the rider accelerates to 100 k's, moves up behind the 4x4 in this lane. The rider may not, in that position, see the utility at the front, or at least appears not to have seen that it was signalling to make a right turn. He can see nothing coming, so he pulls out overtake. The driver of the ute, meanwhile, has looked ahead, looked at his mirrors. He can see nothing coming. Behind him, he sees only the two vehicles that are following him. He can't see the motorcycle because of the 4x4. The utility decides it's safe to pull out, so he begins to make his move and starts to turn across the centre line. So the driver and the rider are unaware of each other, have both begun to move to the right about over the centre line at about the same time. And I'm not going to get into an argument about who, who got there microseconds before the other, because it's really that's just a load of rubbish. It happens pretty much simultaneous. Motorcycles travelling so much quicker is now closing distance between them when the rider becomes aware of the situation. So what's he got to do about that? He's got to process that and he's got to take time to think about what he's going to do in response. The more difficult a situation, a typical situation, the longer it takes to process all this and training can reduce it. That's why we police, and Brett was talking about training to do things that aren't normal. We are trained when a gun jams to go tap, tap roll, rack, recover and up into position. You don't want to be thinking about that, you don't want to be going You know, you want to do it straight away because there's bad things happening at you, you want bad things going that way. So the, it, it has to happen as a trained response. Typical perception response time, according to this research, is about a second, just under a second. So during this time, the motorcycle travels that distance forwards, closing the gap between them. The rider brakes, locks the rear wheel of the bike, the bike skids for 35 metres. Braking efficiency on a, on a cruiser is 65, 35 roughly. The speed loss during the skidding on the 35 metres can be calculated. And that's me being clever. So there's a calculation for the, for, the, for the speed loss. That is a speed equivalent, because what that means at the end of the day when you put it all into this equation is that it goes from 100 kilometres an hour, if it was doing 100 kilometres an hour, down to 88 at impact. 
it's taken about one, almost one and a half seconds to do that. And there's that equation there, 1.34. All right. So added to the possession time, this is about two to two and a half seconds, during which time the motorcycle travels between 50 to 68 meters. So you can see how it closes the gap really quickly on that motorcycle, on the, on the ute, which is slowing down and getting slower. Ute's moving forward. And it should be 35 to 30, because it's actually slowing down, isn't it? It's not speeding up. So it only moves forward that much. So that's a lot bigger figure, that figure. So we're closing the gap, aren't we? So what's the cause? Basically the cause is neither the rider or the driver are aware of each other. As a result, neither of them considered each other's actions. The rider has an almost, the driver, sorry, has an almost impossible task to think about what's going on behind him when he doesn't even realise that the bike is there. The motorcycle rider however, is aware that something's going on, isn't he? Because he's coming behind a slow moving queue. But he could have asked himself, why is those cars going so slowly? What's going on? What's happening here? How do I respond to this? And he has made that choice, he's just responded by overtaking, which probably wasn't a good choice. He needs to find the context of the situation. And what I'm saying here in the context is slow moving vehicles, side road. Slow moving vehicles, side road. There's your context, eh? Why is nobody passing? Not all the clues are obvious, and some may not have been invisible to the rider initially, okay? But this situation could have been avoided if he had simply waited two or three seconds. Then that ute pops out of the way, everybody carries on, he goes around a slight kink on a, on a straight that is two and a half kilometres long, and he can pull out and just cruise past those other two vehicles, and I wouldn't even be having this talk. All I'm asking you guys to do is to think about the context of what you come up against. Look for the clues and look at the situation. Is there a driveway? Is there something up there that, that car could be going into? I've had exactly this situation when I was coming back from the police college one day on my bike. And I saw this car and I thought, what's he doing? What is this Muppet doing? You've you had that situation? What is this Muppet in front of me doing? And I went, ah, oh, no. And it started to turn. And if I had gone whack, we would have had an entirely interesting situation. But instead I went, ah oh, no, I'll wait and see what he does. And he started to turn, no indicator, didn't indicate. He just went off that way and I carried on home to my wife. So guys, that's what I put to you, is that if you're looking at a situation like this, look for the context of the situation, look at the situation as a whole, instead of just looking at that Muppet and wondering what he's about, look at, look at the whole situation, look at the road situation, and try and figure out what's going on and give yourself a bit more time and a bit more distance because time and distance are your friends in this situation. Keeps you safe. 72% is us. Let's get that figure down under 50%. Okay, thank you very much, guys. Wow, now there's something to think about. I'm not even going to make another comment on that. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get hold of us, you can email us, podcast at kiwirider.co.nz. Make sure you hit the subscribe button at kiwirider.co.nz for the latest magazine delivered free to your inbox every fortnight. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Kiwi Rider and at Kiwi Rider Podcast. I've been Ray Heron. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast. Get the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. <laughs>